Hey folks, this is Caleb Brown. I'm taking a well-earned day off, but never fear. I've booked a guest host for today, Andrew Heaton. And in exchange, I've offered to guest host his podcast, The Political Orphanage. In any case, we'll resume normal programming tomorrow. And as always, thank you for listening. This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, March 9th, 2021. I'm Andrew Heaton, host of The Political Orphanage, filling in for the mysteriously absent Caleb Brown, who I am told is gone for totally legal, very cool, very normal reasons. That is what the note says. Once again, I have been assured Caleb's absence is in no way violating existing state or federal law. Cato's Jeff Singer says that while it might make ethical sense to ration vaccines based on health risks, restricting their deployment based on unreliable data is a bad call. In any case, we're employing it using the honor system. We spoke last week about more effective ways to administer the vaccine. So you seem skeptical of rationing out vaccines based on comorbidities and health risks. Why is that? What would be a better way of of rolling out the vaccines? Well, it gets, first of all, when it's too complicated, not only does it make it more difficult for people to uh, access the system, but there's also a lot of opportunity for uh, mendacity, for cheaters. Uh, for example, um, you know, you, you have to go on a website. I'm going to use my state as an example. You log on to the Arizona Department of Health Services website, and it asks you all of these questions in detail, not just about your age, but gives you a whole list of conditions. You're supposed to check whether or not you have them. gives you a list of uh, occupations, and you're supposed to check which one applies to you or none. And by the time, particularly if you're a senior person, which are the people that we want to get vaccinated quickly because they're the ones who are most vulnerable, by the time you're done filling out the form, all the spots are gone. Because people did it quicker than you, so now you got you got, you got three a.m. at Cardinal Stadium on a you know on a Sunday night, and and that's all that's left. So that's number one. Number two, there's a, there's an awful lot of opportunity for people to just say they have certain occupations or or uh, ailments, and uh, I, I'm aware personally of someone who uh, said he smokes because in his particular state, New Jersey, if you're a smoker, you get to go ahead in line, and he doesn't smoke. And I asked him. So are they going to like make you light up and see if you look like a real <laughs> smoker when you show up there or if you're just a faker? And he said, no. So there's a lot of room for cheating too. And, and I think if we want to get people, uh, the, the real people who need it quicker done vaccinated sooner, just keep it simple. The most uh, simple way to prioritize is based on age. The older you are, the more likely you are to have a bad outcome. So start with, for example, 75 and up, then 65 and up, then 55 and up. And that's easy to, to verify because when you show up, you you know, you show your photo ID and it has your date of birth on there. So I mean there's always you could get a lab you can get into elaborate cheating on that too, but that's a little more, you know, a little more difficult to do. So that's, I just think that's that's just a better way of getting the most people vaccinated the most quickly. Well, either way, I'm going to go ahead and take up smoking. They're just That was the bit that I got out of that was uh, if, if I put that down on the form, I want to be ethical. I'm going to bring some cigarettes with me. I've got my vaccine coming <laughs> up on Tuesday. And mm-hmm. c- kind of like you, you, you said, I, I went to the website. It took me a really long time to figure out where to go and all of this, all of these things. It was very complicated. And one of the questions was, you know, do you have any comorbidities? And I, I do have asthma. And I checked that. And now I got it. And I thought, was that it? Was that the whole thing? What if what if some guy lights onto the fact that he can fake asthma and no one's going to ask him about that? And I, yes, I suppose that makes sense yeah. doing it by age more. Well, in some states, they're requiring you to bring 
medical record. A note from a doctor, anyway, saying this person does have asthma. I'll attest to that as the doctor. But in other states, they're not. So, um, and even then, you could probably get a doctor friend to write a little note for you. I'm, I'm going to take my inhaler with me, which is out of date, but I also have great faith in the people of Oklahoma not wanting to make a scene at a pharmacy at Walmart. So I think I'm going to be okay because I've, I've got the documentation out of date. I do have asthma, by the way. I'm not lying. <laughs> um, when when Dr. Fauci comes out and says that, um, you know, everybody hold your horses. We have the vaccine. Things are going well. However, don't think that life is going to return to normal anytime soon. Is it good that he's kind of bracing us that this is going to be an ongoing sluggish reality? Or is that going to disincentivize people to get vaccines? What do you think? Yeah, I've I've spoken about this and so have a lot of other people. And I think it's probably getting to him because I've heard him kind of change his message a little bit just the other day. But my whole point is that if you're trying to get there, are, there are a number of people out there who are afraid of getting vaccinated for whatever reason. They hear stories about reactions, et cetera. And if you're trying to get people to get vaccinated and you send out a message saying nothing's going to change after you're vaccinated, Every, you're still going to have to you know, hunker down and, and wear masks and not have social contact with people. Well, that's precisely the wrong way to go about getting people to change their mind and get vaccinated. That's number one. So number two, I don't think it's I don't think it's accurate. I think if you look at the all of the information from what we know about the vaccines, they're amazingly effective com- compared to what we what we've come to accept over the years. So even the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, the advantage of that being it's a one dose as opposed to two doses, uh, it's not quite as effective against you getting symptoms of COVID as the uh, two mRNA vaccines, but all three of them are 100% effective against you getting sick enough where you have to go in the hospital and 100% effective against dying. So uh, the bottom line is any of the vaccines, if you take the vaccine, for all intents and purposes, you're relegating COVID to just another bad flu or cold going around this season, as opposed to what what it has become, which is a very deadly virus. So that's number one. Number two, there's uh, this there's, there's talk, there's been conjecture about, well, is it possible that even if you're immune from getting vaccinated, could you still not be infected, but carry the, the virus mm, and give it right. to others? Um, there, There is some reason to believe that it might be possible. It's more theoretical than, than anything else. And there've been studies on it that have shown that if that does occur, it's extremely unlikely. And in fact, the vaccine seems to lower any viral load that asymptomatically infected people have. So uh, the message really should be, look, folks, if you get vaccinated, for all intents and purposes, you're not going to get really badly ill or die from COVID, and you're not going to give it to anybody else, which means that you could hang out with other people who've gotten vaccinated or are otherwise immune, which just means that the sooner we all get vaccinated, the sooner everything gets back to being the way we'd like it to be. That should be the message as opposed to what we're seeing now. Now, just this past weekend, uh, Dr. Fauci was interviewed on network television on the Sunday morning shows, and he moderated his or modified his uh, message. He said, this time, you know, it's really just theoretical about the ability to, to still spread the virus. And the CDC is going to be coming out soon with new messaging on this. That makes me think that he's been getting a lot of this uh, this feedback from people like me and others who are saying, what are you doing? Why are you saying this? Do you think that he or other other institutionalists within within our healthcare system have done anything to undermine public confidence in health. And I, I, I see specifically with Dr. Fauci, 
I've seen him change his tune on things. Like here about three months ago, he said that he, he said, you know, we, we're going to get herd immunity if everybody's up to 80% or something. And somebody called him and went, well, you said 70%. And he went, well, right. But if I, if I say a higher number, more people will go get it. And I went, wait a minute, are you just lying to me because you think I'm an idiot? And that, that makes me want to tune him out. Yeah. Uh, two things. Number one, I think there's a tendency in, in press reporting of any of these pronouncements. They, 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 they have a tendency to say, this is the science as if it's like, it's the last word. They right. really should be saying this is science. They should take the V off of, of it because science is a work in progress. We're always learning. It's more of a method. It's a scientific method. And so um, there's a tendency for the, the press to hang on every word of these public health experts and take what they say to be the last word. Uh, on the other hand, these public health experts should be much should, should repeat repeatedly say, now what I'm telling you is what I know as of this moment. Because we're still learning about this, I may tell you something completely different a couple of weeks from now, so don't get angry with me because that's how this thing works. I think if they took more time to say that, people would be more, um, you know, m more accepting of, of, of the changes he here and there in the information. But then finally, there's a paternalistic uh, streak that a lot of public health officials have. So they do this uh, quote unquote noble lie where they lie to us for our own good. Like when they lie to us now, uh, you know, a year ago, almost exactly a year ago on this day, yeah. um, we, many of us were putting on masks because it seemed to make sense. Um, and then we were being told, don't put masks on. You're wasting your money. You're wasting your time. And besides, and they don't work. And besides, the doctors and nurses need them, which kind of would automatically make you wonder, well, wait a minute. You just said they don't work. Why do the doctors and nurses need them? But besides that, that's what they were telling us. And then they went ahead about a month later and completely changed their tune and then told us, well, we told you that on purpose because we didn't want you to kind of hoard them and not let the people who need them even worse than you get them. Well, that right away starts making you think, well, what else are you lying about to me for my own good? And the same thing with uh, with Fauci admitting his changing projections on what's required to reach herd immunity. You know, if I tell you a higher number, then you won't get you you won't get lax too soon. Um, on, you know, honesty is always the best policy. Just just be straight with us. Everybody, I think, every reasonable per reasonable person will accept uh, when you change what you're telling us. When you told us in advance that you you know that this is just what you know as of now, subject to change. And when you're always honest with us, then we could accept changes. I concur with you. And I think during a pandemic would be a great time to really have institutional trust in such individuals. And that was undermined, as you say, very early on. Anytime you're beginning a statement subconsciously with, listen, mouth breathers, and then saying the thing that you're hoping they need to hear to quit being stupid, even if it's not accurate in the truth, I, I think has a deleterious effect. It, it's it's made me a little bit more questionable and a little bit more a little bit less deferential than I would be to authority figures under normal circumstances. When we get into the actual rollout plan for the vaccines, I, I went through my state portal. It sounds like you went through your state portal. It is is this a situation from a, a supply side, a supply chain side where the federal government has purchased all of this and then is dealing them out to states? Have all of the states bought these from the uh, from Pfizer and Moderna? Alternately, is it just that all of the private insurance companies are purchasing them, but it's being coordinated by the state? What is the actual method from the vaccine factory to get into my vein? No, the federal government is purchasing all the vaccines, and then it's distributing it to the states right now based on population of the state. 
Um, and then the, when the states get it, they're distributing it depending on the state. They have their own internal mechanisms. Most states are, are, for example, distributing it then to the counties and the county health departments are deciding how to distribute it from there. In addition, uh, the federal government is giving out a certain amount of vaccine to certain large chain pharmacies and states are, and counties are doing that as well because, you know, pharmacies actually, this is what they do. They have the logistics, they have the infrastructure for vaccinating people because people get vaccinated lots of times at pharmacies. So that makes sense. But that's we basically have, you know, a central plan. Um, that's just the way this is being handled. In fact, the way almost all pandemics are handled. So instead of the market deciding how the vaccine gets distributed, uh, there's a, you know, a central purchasing place, which is the federal government. And then committees basically are deciding how to prioritize that. Lucky for us, you know, we have a federal system. So we have 50 different, you know, central plans, so to speak, plus the District of Columbia. And so, you know, some states are doing a better job logistically than others. But if we all had just one central plan to be forced to live under and they screwed up, then we all get screwed. At least this way, there's an opportunity for some people to, to you know, fare better than others and also for different states to see what each, each other's are doing and learn from one another. Uh, for example, just recently, the governor of Connecticut um, announced that he's scrapping all of this, uh, breaking things down by occupation and comorbidities. He's just doing age. And he said he wants to keep it, keep it simple, stupid. That's what he said, you know, the KISS method. So, and a couple other states doing that as well. Most states aren't. So there's an opportunity here for also, also for us, you know, in the next, in the coming weeks to see whose approach is working better. Is in, in terms of having this inefficient centrally planned system in effect, is the relevant element here that there's a, a centralized national government that's buying all of the vaccines and then distributing them um, and it's decentralization versus centralization or is it that it's a public institution versus a private sector through just us buying our vaccines through health insurance providers which, which what do you think are the relevant uh, speed bumps there I think it's uh, it's mainly that there's a government institution there's, it, it, it's not so much the this, this central buyer as it's the government institution is involved in then distributing it to the population. So um, you basically have committees get together to decide, you know, what's the best way to prioritize it. And also when you have government institutions uh, um, organizing the distribution, you know, governments don't do these kinds of things well. Anybody who's ever you know, applied for a driver's license renewal or, you know, uh, any sort of government application for a permit or whatever knows, knows what it's like. So you, you wind up going through that same kind of clumsy bureaucracy that you wouldn't get when you got a marketplace where, where people in the private sector are competing for your business and trying to come up with the most cost effective ways and the ways that are most pleasing to the customer. I am very pleased the post office is not the relevant institution handling all of this. I feel like that would be something that I would just take my chances uh, if that were the case. Um, final question before I let you go. 
are we going to sucker punch COVID and move on and I can go back to drinking at Smoky Joe's and singing karaoke and stuff? Or are we going to have COVID season? Is that now a thing? What, what, how, how much of our lives are going to be defined by this moving forward? Well, now again, this is just my take. Uh, different people in the healthcare field may have different takes on this. But the way I see it is, first of all, I don't think COVID is going to be eradicated. There's only been one virus in human history that has ever been eradicated. That was smallpox. That took about 200 years. The last case was in 1977. So as a rule, once we reach herd immunity, which is, you know, by the combination of between people getting vaccinated or people having immunity from having gotten infected, enough people are immune that the virus uh, has too many roadblocks to be able to widely spread uh, in an epidemic fashion. And it'll just be little pockets of outbreaks. And I, th I think this virus is going to become what we call endemic, where it's just going to be a part of, of life, just like the flu viruses, just like cold viruses. And there's likely to be a COVID season. And uh, we'll probably, as we learn more about this, be, you know, it just like any virus, it mutates and there'll be new variants developing, just like with influenza. The evidence right now is it doesn't mutate as, as frequently as the influenza virus. So... Uh, it, it might be that every couple of years you'll get to you need to get another COVID shot that's more you know targeted towards the new variants, um, and uh, I, I the, and the other and life will just generally re, I think return now you know there'll be changes in what we do because of the exposure to technology that's happened in the last year, so you know when I say return to normal I'm not saying return to the way it was prior to. COVID right. being on the scene. I think we're going to see a lot more Zoom meetings, I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep playing miniature golf on virtual reality. I'm not giving that up. It's been a fun thing. Right. But socialization is going to come back and people will be socializing as before. And, uh, um, you know, I've always been an advocate of harm reduction. I actually, and, 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 and I, and I think harm reduction is very applicable to when it comes to this and any other infectious disease. You know, it's uh, it's the idea that you're not going to get anything to be completely gone. When it comes to, you know, uh, drug use, the idea behind arm reduction is we're never going to have a drug-free society. So instead of telling people, stop doing drugs, why don't we tell people, if you're going to do drugs, this is the safest way to do it. And things like clean needle, you know, syringe programs, et cetera. And the same thing with uh, the stopping the spread of, you know, sexually transmitted diseases. Uh, you know, use condoms, that kind of thing. And in fact, in healthcare, that's sort of in, in most uh, developed societies like the U.S., that's most of what doctors do is practice harm reduction because, it, you know, we have a lot of diseases of affluence. So there are a lot of people, for example, who if they only took, took off weight and went on an exercise regimen, then they wouldn't need to be on medication for high blood pressure or, or diabetes. But they made lifestyle choices that, you know, they like to eat and they don't like to exercise. So their doctor says, okay, let me put you on these medications to reduce your blood pressure and your cholesterol level and reduce your chances of killing yourself with your lifestyle choices. That's harm reduction. So we, we need to do the same thing when it comes to infectious diseases. I mean, and we, we kind of have done this prior to COVID. I mean, most people, if there was a, a flu going around, it was flu season, and you were invited over to, to some friend's house for a party, and you felt like you were coming down with something, you would just call your friends and say, look, I'm going to have to cancel coming over because I think I'm coming down with something. I don't want to give it to you. So we need to, again, just even when this has calmed down, we should do those kind of things, you know, not and, you know, uh, maybe avoid going to uh, a, a frail 
elderly friend or relative if you think you're coming down with something. So we should still behave that way afterwards, and that's harm reduction. Jeff Singer is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. We spoke last week. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please. And hey, you clearly enjoy analysis and interviews with smart people. So I invite you to check out my show, The Political Orphanage. 